0: Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Tarot and today on the podcast, Scott and I are going to catch up about a number of different topics. We have a lot going on, and we thought it would be fun just to have sort of a freeform conversation about a lot of different ideas, so Scott, I'll let you introduce what you'd like to talk about.
1: Well, yes. What we all want to talk about, Northern Seminary, but as I tell people who I get, uh, uh, I used to get four hours, I could count on four hours of tranquility in the morning, you know, (laughs) at least till noon, maybe one. And even my mornings are interrupted now. And and it seems like all afternoon I spend my time on the phone with students and text messaging and Messenger and Zooming and oh boy. So, but we're not going to talk about that because not today. The other thing I say is. Every hour it seems to change. Mm-hmm. So I never know. By the time this is broadcast, it'll be a different situation. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, um, yes, we need, to, we need to have chats about a number of topics. And um, one of them, I know you have recently read a book that I want to read, but um, The Northern Situation has not given me the kind of tranquility to be able to Curl up in a chair in the evening and read some. I don't ever curl up in a chair anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you read this wonderful uh, autobiography memoir by Beth Moore.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was and so good. And you wrote good. a
1: wonderful post on my Substack about it. So let's talk about Beth Moore. Yeah, All right. Yeah, tell me some things that you learned from her.
0: Oh goodness, there was so much. I, I think. Her memoir reads sort of similar to her Twitter, um, in that it's full of her humor and, um, Yeah, just her warmth comes through. I think you get a lot of her personality through it. Um, But it tells a story of her life, of growing up in church, of her family, um, of her call to ministry, which was particularly powerful, and her years in ministry. And I think um, there's just something really beautiful about um, mentors who stepped into her life at different points and kept Mm. her going and gave her direction, Um, and then it sort of ends with some of the more recent history with the Southern Baptist Convention and then her movement out of um, that environment and then where she's landed. And it's it's got some details about her family life Um that are really beautiful, but also really painful. Um, yeah. She gives, she gives more insight into her history of abuse, which she has alluded to over the years in her memoir. She gets more specific. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and as I was reading it, I had this idea that it, it struck me as um, in the old Testament, where you hear, uh, especially in the Psalms, but in different points where they review the history of Israel and talk about the role that God has played at all the crucial moments of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, bringing them through the Red Sea, providing manna and quail from heaven, and it just goes on and on and on. But those moments that felt like a crisis or felt like a loss, um, being able to review them through the lens of God's hand and God's um, charity and investment and involvement. Um, And I think she just does that really beautifully of kind of looking back and saying, that's where where God met me. That's where I, you know, planting a memorial stone and saying, this is where that happened. So
1: it's really beautiful. what, What was her major in college? Was it English or something like that?
0: I want to. Yes, I think it, it. I think it might have been either English or journalism,
1: something like that. Okay, because she is a skilled writer. When she really I, is. You know, I'm writing the Everyday Bible Studies, and um, I've got seven at the publisher. So I'm starting the eighth one. I'll, I'll t- maybe bring it up later. But the first two volumes, the first volume was on James and Galatians, which is a strange combo. <laughs> but she had written a book with her daughter on each yeah. of those. Yeah, and they were amazing. I loved reading them, and funny and witty. But okay, now there's a famous commentary on First Peter that nobody reads anymore by uh, E.G. Selwyn. Okay, Uh no one reads anymore. It's it's still a great commentary. And when he gets to, I think it's like chapter two, verse fourteen, he he says. Uh, up to this point, I've been able to consult the great scholar F. J. A. Hort, Fenton John Anthony Hort. <laughs> and he says, at this point, we will have to uh, bid farewell and we will have to su- limp along or something like this without him <laughs> because... He did not get past this this verse in his own commentary. I felt that way when I got to my next, the next book, I think it's Philippians. I think that's where it was. And she was, and I didn't get to read her. I thought, (laughs) I really miss Beth Moore. I want her to be here to talk about something that I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. But um, Chris read, Chris read the the book, uh, My Knotted Up Life or something like that.
0: Yes, All My Knotted Up Life.
1: And... Chris is uh, usually pretty good at not telling me everything she's reading in a book. And she does that especially and really rigidly disciplined way when she knows I need to read the book. So she said early, Oh, you're going to want to read this book. (laughs) But every now and then it would leak through. She just loved the book. It was really, really a good book. And um, I remember when I first heard that Tyndale was publishing this book because I was working with her editor on on Tove, or maybe yeah, I think it was on tove it could have been on uh, pivot our next book, but um i've I've followed her on Twitter and Chris follows her. She is such a delightful person. Yeah. I want her so bad to get on our podcast here uh, so if anyone out there is listening to this podcast. You tell your friend, Beth Moore, to get on our podcast. (laughs) I want to talk to her about how she studies the Bible. Oh, yeah. Because she's so good at this. She really really is. And, uh, you know, she didn't go to seminary, so she doesn't sit there and read Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. But she's really skilled at reading the text and seeing what that text means for, you know, mostly evangelical Christians today. Yeah.
0: One of the things that she talks about is that she has read extremely widely. Yeah. That um you know she she's read um Jewish rabbis, she's read, you know, on on every almost every strain of Christian faith when it comes to studying the Bible. She has not limited herself yeah. to like people of her tribe. She's read well beyond yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes through, that she, she just deeply loves scripture. And I think she is really good at communicating the depth of what she's learned in really um, tangible ways that people connect with, people enjoy it. And I think I think I've heard you say this before, but um, she's a phenomenal Bible teacher, yep. and in some ways, she's probably better than some of her critics um, oh, yeah. at, at teaching the Bible to people in a way that they can understand. Well, and, I say, I yeah. say
1: all the time, Beth Moore is the most influential Bible teacher in the United States. Yes. she is. Now, yeah. you know, I am not going to say in the world, and she's more influential than Tom Wright. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the, I, she's she she's widely read, show, so many copies. Yeah. And then you have these. Have you ever been to any of her Bible studies or ever heard her speak?
0: Oh, I've seen. Yeah,
1: she goes and speaks, and she gets thousands of people to come here. I know Tom does too. And I'm not saying she's as good a scholar because she's not as Tom, but yeah, she's so influential and so dynamic as a speaker. Uh, I mean, if she were in this area and we heard about we we chris and i'd both go i'd i want to yeah. hear her i'd sit yeah. in the front row if i could
0: yeah so. i've heard her speak I heard her speak at Wheaton a few years ago, and I think the, there was another just great section, maybe this is part where Chris read to you where she talks about. Starting out teaching aerobics. And she describes in detail the leotards and the sweatbands and talking about teaching the Bible, you know, in that context. And she says something like, Let me have this. Like, her self-deprecating humor like you know there's so many hard parts of her life but she has the ability to laugh at herself and so she wants to go into detail describing how ridiculous it was probably in that moment that that's how she was you know got her started yeah. teaching scripture and i just thought that is so beautiful um we need more leaders who are willing to be humble in those ways and own yeah. those things um so it's just a delight it really was
1: well, I hope in your church that uh, you have some Bible studies where you can use uh, Beth have Moore. the group go through a Beth Moore Bible study on Galatians. Yes. It's pretty good. I mean, she's not quite new perspective, but she's good. And <laughs> uh, and her daughter Melissa has a seminary education. She's yeah very sharp. Mm. You know, speaking of your church, yes. Um, here we are, Pastor <laughs> Pastor Laura Matero. <laughs> at Bethany Covenant Church in St. Charles, at the, what's it? It's not called Dunkin' Donuts. What's Dimples. it
0: called? Dimples. Dimples Donuts.
1: Dimples Donuts. <laughs> hey, is the store, is it open now?
0: It is so close. I mean, literally any day now. She's okay. got her coffee machines up. She's got, yeah, we're ready to go.
1: Well, I'm just wondering, um, you know, you've been at this quite a while. Yeah. And I would say 90% of what you've had to do was never covered in a seminary class. <laughs>
0: It's so true. So tell
1: true. Me, tell me some things that you've really learned that stand out for you as uh, mm. what's involved in planting a church.
0: Oh, my gosh. There's so many details. Um, I mean, I've, I've worked in church environments for a number of years. I've done ministry for decades. I think what sets this apart, uh, church planting is really um, – at every level, you are engaged as a pastor at every level. It's things like numbers of parking spaces, like, you know, um, training child care workers. Like, I have to create the policies and procedures, um, or at least find them and revamp them. Um, we have to do all of the things, um, which can be kind of overwhelming, Um and i think there are a lot of little decisions that have to be made Mm -hmm. um i was having a chat this week with another pastor and we were creating promotional material for our big launch we're launching on easter um so we were talking about that and i had made a brochure and this other pastor was saying to me there's nothing personal about you in this brochure like you're talking about the church but people come to churches because of the pastor or they want to feel connected or they want to know the story and i said it just makes me super uncomfortable to center myself in these spaces um like i want to be able to tell the story of our church but i want it to be the story of our church not the story of laura tarot creating a church um so And this other pastor that I was talking with has also come out of a large church model. So we're unlearning some things because I knew exactly what they were talking about, about, you know, telling certain stories to get, you know, get people's emotions, get them connected and, you know, all of that thing. It could be effective, but it's um, not always the wisest thing to center yourself in the context of your church.
1: You know, Um, um... This reminds me of my, uh, my good editor friend at, at uh, Zondervan, John Raymond, who when I started a blog, he was always way ahead. He was way ahead of everything. He was like pre-emerging, emerging uh, <laughs> way back in the day. He was really clever. He's been always uh, very clever on culture. I, I said to him one day, I said, John, what, what are the marks of a good blog? And this was, you know, I've been doing this since almost 20 years. 2004, um, he said, number one, you have to have solid content. Okay, that's like a pastor, yeah. church. Number two, you have to have variety. It can't be the same thing every time. He said a lot of people write a book and they want to have a blog because they have a book and they want to talk about, let's say, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and that lasts about two months and then, okay, we got to move on. <laughs> and so he said you got to have variety. But then he said this, it's got to be occasionally Personal. hmm I said, Well, what do you mean by that? He said, Scott, the other day you blogged about some shoes you call born shoes. They're they're made in Sweden. And he said he said, You will be surprised how many people will come up to you and say, Do you have on your born shoes? And no <laughs> kidding. About two weeks later I was preaching at a church in Nebraska and a guy says, I just wanted to make sure you're wearing the right shoes. It's um, so funny and then um, and then I think it has to be you know it it's got to be uh well th- those were three things, but your point if if the church is based upon you, yeah and you attract people to come hear you, well, that's a celebrity pastor model, right, but at the same time, you do have to be who you are and you have to kind of reveal yourself, so there's yeah. you know if you're aware, and I know you are, that you don't want to be the center of attention and you don't want that to happen. That's a good thing. Yeah. There are a lot of people who don't know that that's what they're doing. They're unaware that that's what they're doing. And it's so successful. They don't want to know uh, that's what's going on. So as long as you're aware of it, I do think at times there's a, there's real value in saying, you know, I'm a mom. Yeah. I have two teenagers let me tell you what teenagers are like. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. going to draw people to say, you know, she's real. She's a yeah. real person as well. Our pastor Amanda is like that. She'll talk about her two daughters every now and then, and she's pretty reticent to talk about it, which I think is very healthy. Yeah, uh, it, it's when pastors want to use their two-year-old all the time as illustrations of spiritual maturity. You go, oh, <laughs> come on, you know, they're two. Well-
0: Yes, yeah. there's a tension and a balance there. I think it's just one of the things that we're exploring, but thinking through creating, helping helping the church itself to establish its, its identity and yeah. its purpose yeah. and encouraging that and um, having that sense of separation of my own personal identity from the identity of the church. Like the church needs to know who they are and why they exist and i can coach and nurture and help develop you know a sense of culture but at the end of the day they need to own it Um, because pastors come and go and churches need to be able to survive that um and i think that um Pastors can over-invest themselves. So it's. I'm probably too aware of it, um, yeah. but it's, it's something that I'm, I'm constantly thinking about. How are we promoting other voices in this space? How are we inviting other people into decision-making processes so that it's not all centered around one single leader? Because um, that, yeah. to me, starts to feel really dangerous.
1: Hey, how did you find your—you uh, uh, know, Chris and I were there one time—your Yeah, uh, your worship leader—
0: this is a great story. So, um, I worked at another church in the community for a number of years, and I used to lead a worship service there. It was a liturgical worship service that I planned and led every week. Um, I helped plan the liturgy pieces, and then there was a worship team that just did all the music, and I had no part in that. And our worship leader is an 18 year old college student. Um, His family attended the worship service at the other church where I used to work. So I've known Ethan since he was in middle school, um, and he was on the worship team in our little worship service at the old church, and then when we were starting here, I was Not sure where I was going to find a worship leader for our little plant. And I was just praying about it and reaching out to some people. I was reaching out to local colleges, trying to find somebody to come and play. And then Ethan's dad reached out to me and said, would you ever be willing to let Ethan give it a go? And I was like, yes, (laughs) <laughs> and he has, he has been amazing. Um, he plans the music. He recruits others to come and play with him. Um, I just, I'm going to brag about him for a minute. He um, s- sent out a message to all of our regulars and invited them to suggest songs for Lent and Easter. And he got a wide variety of responses. I, I looked at our worship planning schedule and I saw for Easter, one of the songs we're doing is A Bridge Over Troubled Water. And I was like, this is okay, that's an odd choice. And so I reached out to Ethan and he said, well, one of the women in our group requested it. And I thought, well, that's beautiful. And he said, listen to this, he goes, I want to invite the people that requested certain songs to come up and share with our community, why Mm -hmm. they requested the different songs and why they're meaningful to them. And I thought this is an 18 year old that is so wise and, and I think pastoral in this approach. Um, so it's just a joy and a delight to have him. I could not do what he does. Um, so it's a real gift to us to have him there. And, um, he asked me this last week if he could start like a Vespers worship service once a month. And I'm like, yes, you can. Like, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Tell me how I can support you in that. Yeah, so
1: yeah.
0: that stuff just thrills me. It's that's it's just good. fun. Yeah. To see people we growing.
1: The, we know the drummer that he, that was used that day, yes. but, you, but it's written, you know, what's was really neat for me sitting there. Um, it was youth. It was young mm-hmm. and that's, um, that's a good thing, you know, rather than to have everybody who's 40, 50, 60 up there, uh, there was a sense in which all different ages get to contribute to the church. So that was, well, um, you know, as you're, as you're building this church, you know, all about Tove because of, I guess, because of me and my daughter, Laura, the other Laura (laughs) always says to me, which Laura are you talking about? (laughs) It's so funny. Um, what what um what are you doing what kinds of things do you think you're you're doing practicing habits that yeah. can help build a really solid tove healthy good culture at at your church
0: Yeah. I think part of it is just that idea of bringing other voices in and creating mm-hmm. space for people to um have the freedom to feel like this church is their church and they're a part of it um, and and I so this is just another story we are in the process of doing promotional stuff for our launch and a woman in our congregation made a social media post and I didn't ask her to do this she did it and then she was showing it to me and it was so cute and like just spot on beautiful um but it didn't match our brand guidelines and and i'm just telling you this a little bit to be vulnerable about like my own background like you're trained in these large churches you have brand guidelines you have certain colors you have to use certain fonts you have to use your logo can only look one way you can't cut off part of it and um (laughs) So, I, like, I'm looking at this post that she made, and it was so great. And she was so excited about it. And in my head, all I could think was, well, that's not the right font. It doesn't match our colors. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I I just remember in that moment thinking, oh, part of me, like, wants to change this. But another part of me just wants to celebrate that she did this. This is yeah. her gift. This is her offering. And I, as her pastor, are going am going to come back and say that's not the right font, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think in those moments, it's how am I how am I going to celebrate people, yeah. and how am I going to celebrate the gifts that it's they good. are offering to God, um, yeah. and not make it about you know perfection every time. And and I think that's. Part of it's tough. Like I, I'm just being honest. Like because part of me is like I, I, want it to be beautiful and perfect every time. But that's also we have an 18 year old worship leader. Like yeah. part of this journey is developing people. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's not always going to be you know perfect, but that's okay. And I think that honors God. I yeah. think God delights in that. And and that's what we want to create this culture is we are. How we do things matters as much as what we do. And so we want our how to be celebrating the goodness and character of God. If I had, you know, chastised that woman for not following our brand guidelines that's just not that's not celebrating the goodness of God well Scott this has been a fun conversation we've talked about Beth Moore and her contributions um, in her memoir and church planning and a little bit of Tove in there too which is so good I'm hoping we get to hear more about your new book that you've written with your daughter Um, I love getting those little hints because I'm looking forward to that one in the fall Um, but maybe we'll talk about that more next time and I want to say to our Listeners, that we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.